Hey folks, thank you for becoming a member of Cafe Insider. In addition to the new Cafe Insider podcast, we're sharing bonus material from my interviews on Stay Tuned with Preet. This is exclusively for you. Hope you enjoy it. And another thing we share uh, with respect to our books is is you also have the famous Deckle Edge yeah. pages. Which they don't do that for everyone. They they only the special ones, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what they used to do is stamp your initials on the hard cover inside the jacket. They stopped doing that. They no longer do that. I always wanted that, and I never got it. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe one day in the future. But the Deckle Edge is odd because some people think it's a it's a printing malfunction. <laughs> I ran no. into somebody recently. No, it's who it's, said it's, your book. They messed up the printing of your book. I said no. We pay extra for that. We pay extra. It's a slightly pretentious retro reference to when you had to cut the pages and so the pages were uneven because they've been right. cut. Yeah. So you quite rightly said a couple of minutes ago that you're not necessarily generalizing to all people from Richard Holbrook. You know, I've had a different experience with some individuals. I won't name who they are, but there are people who are so driven by ambition and are so competitive and see for themselves some accolade or appointment or achievement that they've always searched for, whether it's, I don't know, you know, the Pulitzer Prize or the Nobel Prize or a governorship. He wanted all of those, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> sure. not, maybe not the governorship. I'm sure he did, but I personally know individuals who, based on my observations, behaved a certain way and had some of the qualities you're describing Richard Holbrook had until they got that big thing. And then they calmed down a little bit because they felt a sense of, finally, they've reached the achievement that they had always dreamed about from the early days. And they became a little bit more beneficent, a little bit more generous because they had now reached in their own minds, and it doesn't happen to that many people, they had reached the pinnacle that they could not go beyond and enjoyed it a little bit more and relaxed a little bit more. Have you ever seen people like that? And you sure. think that's not possible? Yeah, that no, it possible is possible. No, I'm not generalizing about human beings. I'm saying this man had a almost demonic restlessness in him that I don't think could have been satisfied by anything. You're saying so many interesting things that I, I keep lingering on them. For them to think that there's some kind of higher loyalty or higher dignity in silence, to me, is um, it's actually unpatriotic. It's interesting because... What, I'm sorry yeah, to ask again, but no, do, I, I, was I assume my, you agree <laughs> because you have gone the, uh, in a certain I, uh, different I, direction. I do. In part, it's, it's odd to see some people who have, I think, great character in particular ways and have a lot of integrity like General Mattis and everyone says he does. I don't know him personally. You think they behave a certain way out of a sense of decorum and out of not, you know, trampling on these norms and observing taboos. But to do that in the face of the least decorous president, I think in the history of the country, creates a certain asymmetry. Sort of a sucker's <laughs> game, if, kind if of, you will. Yeah. Kind of, yes. You know, Barack Obama comes out of the woodwork one time recently, and I forgot even what he said, but he said something that was critical of the president. I don't even think he mentioned it by name, but it was, it was some remark, tweet, speech, something. I think it, it had to do with um, El Paso and his remarks yeah. about immigrants. And boy, the right-wing talking heads said, can you believe this guy, former president? When have we ever seen a former president criticize a sitting president? And that's not to be done. And George W. Bush didn't do it to Barack Obama, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I want to throw something at the television because tell me for a minute, if Donald Trump is reelected or not and continues to live life post-presidency, is he, is he going to keep his mouth shut about his successor? Every, I mean, the, he might found a new television network 
based purely on bashing his successor, especially if he loses the next race. So the people who get upset about this, spare me. Yeah, absolutely. Herbert Hoover, by the way, spent like the last 30 years of his life denouncing the guy who beat him. <laughs> so uh, it's been done before. In normal times, normal times call for normal I, you know, I see your point, and I think it applies to people who were in either the you know, Economic Council or the National Security Council or various departments of the government at high levels and who really saw the president up close. I think for them to wait until their book comes out is a disservice to the rest of us. We need it, and we need to hear it from them. Um, otherwise, their claim that they were doing it for the country it kind of starts to fall apart. It also, it also prompts an interesting question that I've been thinking about during this interview, and that is, what is the state of ideology and the importance of ideology today? You know, on the one hand, you might say, you could, I guess you could make the argument that, well, Donald Trump sort of in some ways means the end of conservative ideology. That's why you have all these never-Trumpers people, you know, George Will was on the show, you know, has a certain ideology, has had it, I think, for a long time, and has been talking about it and writing about it for a very long time, principles of small government, you know, how he thinks about trade, also the rules of baseball. Yeah. Donald Trump. The Madisonian yeah. rules of baseball. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we had a nice talk about the designated hitter rule. And he hates it. Donald Trump, Donald Trump has no uh, sort of resemblance to sort of some of these things that people have cited as basic Republican principles. And Republicans and evangelicals in, in particular have embraced him. Like whatever he says goes. If he says we want gun control, we'll get gun control. Um, if he says all of a sudden we need to have more tariffs or fewer tariffs, people just fall in line, whether it's whether it comports with Republican longstanding principles or not. And on the other hand, as you've been describing, on the left, I guess you could make the argument there's been a, a rise in focus on ideology. Where does that where does that put us as far as political debate mm -hmm. going forward? So we have nihilism versus. Um, increasing ideological rigidity. That doesn't sound like a great <laughs> who wins political in that? landscape. <laughs> who wins, who in that wins there? Um, I think that they're also feeding each other because Trump's viciousness, his bigotry, his bullying, his vulgarity are having an effect in the Democratic Party of driving people more into a corner where they can take a total position against not just him, but anyone who might uh, be moving in the direction of the Republican Party or of some of their positions. I don't know about gun control. I think if he came out for gun control, he'd start losing some Republican voters. I think what he discovered, and he does have a certain political genius for, for destruction. He discovered that the, Repu the Republican base was not down with the Wall Street Journal editorial page and the Cato Institute and yeah. the that's Federalist one, Society. That's one thing that his base and I agree with. <laughs> they turn out to be much more flexible when it comes to the role of government. As long as government is there for them and not for those other people who don't look like them and who come from other places and who they don't like. So this is where Trump's Republican Party feels more like a European right-wing party nationalist, but not really anti-government in the same way that Reagan to Bush has been the defining principle of the Republican Party. That's gone. So that part of their ideology seems to have lost the base and now has lost the White House. 
But you're right that in general, there's a kind of whatever he wants. He's the tribal leader. And the Democrats don't have a tribal leader. They have a whole bunch of different warring princes, maybe, but <laughs> and princesses. But um, I think it will become more that way if Trump is reelected, that, that a certain identity, progressive identity, becomes defined in a rigid and let's call it tribal way in the same way that I think the Republican Party has now done to itself. Thanks again for becoming a member of Cafe Insider. Listen to the Cafe Insider podcast every Monday with me and Ann Milgram and stay tuned every Thursday. Do you like doing this? I do. I hope so if you've done a hundred of them.